Chapter Nine of The Gentle Grafter by O. Henry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leslie Walden. Chapter Nine Innocence of Broadway. I hope some day to retire from business, said Jeff Peters, and when I do, I don't want anybody to be able to say that I ever got a dollar of any man's money without giving him a quid pro rata for it. I've always managed to leave a customer some little gee-gaw to paste in his scrapbook or stick between his Seth Thomas clock and the wall after we are through trading. There was one time I came near having to break this rule of mine and do a profligate and illaudable action, but I was saved from it by the laws and statutes of our great and profitable country. One summer me and Andy Tucker, my partner, went to New York to lay in our annual assortment of clothes and gents' furnishings. We was always pompous and regardless dressers, finding that looks went further than anything else in our business except maybe our knowledge of railroad schedules and an autograph photo of the president that Loeb sent us, probably by mistake. Andy wrote a nature letter once and sent it in about animals that he had seen caught in a trap lots of times. Loeb must have read it triplets instead of trap lots and sent the photo. Anyhow, it was useful to us to show people as a guarantee of good faith. Me and Andy never cared much to do business in New York. It was too much like pot-hunting. Catching suckers in that town is like dynamiting a Texas lake for bass. All you have to do anywhere between the North and East Rivers is to stand in the street with an open bag marked, Drop Packages of Money Here. No checks or loose bills taken. You have a cop handy to club pikers who try to chip in post office orders and Canadian money. And that's all there is to New York for a hunter who loves his profession. So me and Andy used to just nature-fake the town. We'd get out our spy-glasses and watch the woodcocks along the Broadway swamps putting plaster casts on their broken legs, and then we'd sneak away without firing a shot. One day in the papier-mâché palm room of a chloral hydrate and hops agency in a side street about eight inches off Broadway, me and Andy had thrust upon us the acquaintance of a New Yorker. We had beer together until we discovered that each of us knew a man named Hellsmith, traveling for a stove factory in Duluth. This caused us to remark that the world was a very small place. And then this New Yorker busts his string and takes off his tin foil and excelsior packing and starts giving us the Ellen Terrace, beginning with the time he used to sell shoelaces to the Indians on the spot where Tammany Hall now stands. This New Yorker had made his money keeping a cigar store in Beekman Street, and he hadn't been above 14th Street in ten years. Moreover, he had whiskers, and the time had gone by when a true sport will do anything to a man with whiskers. No grafter except a boy who is soliciting subscribers to an illustrated weekly to win the prize air rifle, or a widow, would have the heart to tamper with a man behind with a razor. He was a typical city rube. I'd bet the man hadn't been out of sight of a skyscraper in twenty-five years. Well, presently this metropolitan backwoodsman pulls out a roll of bills with a big old blue sleeve elastic fitting tight around it, and opens it up. 
"'There's five thousand dollars, Mr. Peters,' says he, shoving it over the table to me. "'Save during my fifteen years of business. Put that in your pocket and keep it for me, Mr. Peters. I'm glad to meet you gentlemen from the West, and I may take a drop too much. I want you to take care of my money for me. Now let's have another beer.' "'You'd better keep this yourself,' says I. "'We are strangers to you, and you can't trust everybody you meet. "'Put your roll back in your pocket,' says I, "'and you'd better run along home before some farmhand from the Caw River bottoms "'strolls in here and sells you a copper mine.' "'Oh, I don't know,' says Whiskers. "'I guess little old New York can take care of herself. "'I guess I know a man that's on the square when I see him.' I've always found the Western people all right. I ask you as a favor, Mr. Peters, says he, to keep that roll in your pocket for me. I know a gentleman when I see him, and now let's have some more beer. In about ten minutes this fall of manna leans back in his chair and snores. Andy looks at me and says, I reckon I'd better stay with him for five minutes or so in case the waiter comes in. I went out the side door and walked half a block up the street. And then I came back and sat down at the table. Andy, says I, I can't do it. It's too much like swearing off taxes. I can't go off with this man's money without doing something to earn it, like taking advantage of the bankrupt act, or leaving a bottle of eczema lotion in his pocket to make it look more like a square deal. Well, says Andy, it does seem to be kind of hard on one's professional pride. To lope off with a bearded pard's competency, especially after he has nominated you custodian of his bundle in the sappy insouciance of his urban indiscrimination. Suppose we wake him up and see if we can formulate some commercial sophistry by which he will be enabled to give us both his money and a good excuse. We wakes up Whiskers. He stretches himself and yawns out the hypothesis that he must have dropped off for a minute and then he says he wouldn't mind sitting in at a little gentleman's game of poker. He used to play some when he attended high school in Brooklyn, and he was out for a good time. Why, and so forth. Andy brights up a little at that, for it looks like it might be a solution to our financial troubles. So we all three go to our hotel farther down Broadway, and have the cards and chips brought up to Andy's room. I tried once more to make this babe in the horticultural gardens take his five thousand, but no. Keep that little roll for me, Mr. Peters, says he, and oblige. I'll ask you for it when I want it. I guess I know when I'm among friends. A man that's done business on Beekman Street for twenty years, right in the heart of the wisest old village on earth, ought to know what he's about. I guess I can tell a gentleman from a conman or a flimflammer when I meet him. I've got some odd change in my clothes, enough to start the game with, I guess. He goes through his pockets and rains twenty-dollar gold certificates on the table till it looked like a ten-thousand-dollar autumn day in a London grove pictured by Turner in the salons. Andy almost smiled. The first round that was dealt, this boulevardier slaps down his hand, claims low and jack and big casino, and rakes in the pot. Andy always took a pride in his poker playing. He got up from the table and looked sadly out of the windows at the street cars. Well, gentlemen, says the cigar man, I don't blame you for not wanting to play. I've forgotten the fine points of the game, I guess. 
It's been so long since I indulged. Now, how long are you gentlemen going to be in the city? I told him about a week longer. He says that suits him fine. His cousin is coming over from Brooklyn that evening, and they're going to see the sights in New York. His cousin, he says, is in the artificial limb and lead casket business and hasn't crossed the bridge in eight years. They expect to have the time of their lives, and he winds up by asking me to keep his roll of money for him till the next day. I tried to make him take it, but it only insulted him to mention it. I'll use what I've got in loose change, says he. You keep the rest for me. I'll drop in on you and Mr. Tucker tomorrow afternoon about six or seven, says he, and we'll have dinner together. Be good. After Whiskers had gone, Andy looked at me, curious and doubtful. Well, Jeff, says he, it looks like the ravens are trying to feed us to Elijah's so hard that if we turned them down again, we ought to have the Audubon Society after us. It won't do to put the crown aside too often. I know this is something like paternalism, but don't you think opportunity has skinned its knuckles about enough knocking at our door? I put my feet on the table and my hands in my pockets, which is an attitude unfavorable to frivolous thoughts. Andy, says I, this man with the hirsute whiskers has got us in a predicament. We can't move hand or foot with his money. You and me have got a gentleman's agreement with fortune that we can't break. We've done business in the West, where it's more of a fair game. Out there, the people we skin are trying to skin us. Even the farmers and the remittance men that the magazines send out to write up gold fields. But there's little sport in New York for rod, reel, or gun. They hunt here with either one of two things, a slung shot or a letter of introduction. The town has been stocked so full of carp that the game fish are all gone. If you spread a net here, do you catch legitimate suckers in it, such as the Lord intended to be caught, fresh guys who know it all, sports with a little coin and the nerve to play another man's game, street crowds out for the fun of dropping a dollar or two, and village smarties who know just where the little pea is? No, sir, says I. What the grafters live on here is widows and orphans and foreigners who save up a bag of money and hand it over to the first counter they see with an iron railing to it and factory girls and little shopkeepers that never leave the block they do business in that's what they call suckers here they're nothing but canned sardines and all the bait you need to catch em is a pocket knife and a soda cracker now this cigar man i went on is one of the types He's lived twenty years on one street without learning as much as you would getting a once-over shave from a lock-jawed barber in a Kansas crossroads town. But he's a New Yorker, and he'll brag about that all the time when he isn't picking up live wires or getting in front of street cars or paying out money to wiretappers or standing under a safe that's being hoisted into a skyscraper. When a New Yorker does loosen up, says I, it's like the spring decomposition of the ice jam in the Allegheny River. He'll swamp you with cracked ice and backwater if you don't get out of the way. It's mighty lucky for us, Andy, says I, that this cigar exponent with the parsley dressing saw fit to bedrock us with his childlike trust and altruism. For, says I, this money of his is an eyesore to my sense of rectitude and ethics. We can't take it, Andy. You know we can't, says I. 
for we haven't a shadow of a title to it, not a shadow. If there was the least bit of a way we could put in a claim to it, I'd be willing to see him start in on another twenty years and make another five thousand dollars for himself. But we haven't sold him anything. We haven't been embroiled in a trade or anything commercial. He approached us friendly, says I, and with blind and beautiful idiocy he laid the stuff in our hands. We have to give it back to him when he wants it. Your arguments, says Andy, are past criticism or comprehension. No, we can't walk off with the money. As things now stand, I admire your conscious way of doing business, Jeff, says Andy, and I wouldn't propose anything that wasn't square in line with your theories of morality and initiative. But I'll be away tonight and most of tomorrow, Jeff, says Andy. I've got some business affairs that I want to attend to. When this free greenbacks party comes in tomorrow afternoon, hold him here till I arrive. We've all got an engagement for dinner, you know. Well, sir, about five the next afternoon, in trips the cigar man with his eyes half open. Been having a glorious time, Mr. Peters, says he. Took in all the sights. I tell you, New York is the onlyest only. Now, if you don't mind, says he, I'll lie down on that couch and doze off for about nine minutes before Mr. Tucker comes. I'm not used to being up all night. And tomorrow, if you don't mind, Mr. Peters, I'll take that five thousand. I met a man last night that's got a sure winner at the racetrack tomorrow. Excuse me for being so impolite as to go to sleep, Mr. Peters. And so this inhabitant of the second city in the world reposes himself and begins to snore, while I sit there musing over things and wishing I was back in the West where you could always depend on a customer fighting to keep his money hard enough to let your conscience take it from him. At half-past five, Andy comes in and sees the sleeping form. I've been over to Trenton, says Andy, pulling a document out of his pocket. I think I've got this matter fixed up all right, Jeff. Look at that. I open the paper and see that it is a corporation charter issued by the state of New Jersey to the Peters and Tucker Consolidated and Amalgamated Aerial Franchise Development Company Limited. It's to buy up rights of way for airship lines, explained Andy. The legislature wasn't in session, but I found a man at a postcard stand in the lobby that keeps a stock of charters on hand. There are 100,000 shares, says Andy, expected to reach a par value of one dollar. I had one blank certificate of stock printed. Andy takes out the blank and begins to fill it in with a fountain pen. The whole bunch, says he, goes to our friend in dreamland for five thousand dollars. Did you learn his name? Make it out to bearer, says I. We put the certificate of stock in the cigar man's hand and went out to pack our suitcases. On the ferry boat, Andy says to me, is your conscience easy about taking the money now, Jeff? Why shouldn't it be, says I. Are we any better than any other holding corporation? End of chapter 9